Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I think my favorite superhero is Spider-Man. Why Spider-Man? I don't know. He's a dorky uh, teenager. He's going through, you know, he's always a little bit awkward. So you relate. I don't know if I relate. (laughs) I think my husband relates, so maybe it's my type. (laughs) Nice. He'll he'll love that. Yeah. Does he listen to the podcast? I don't know. (laughs) All right. And my name is Misty. My favorite superhero is Wonder Woman. Why? I like the interesting backstory of how she was created. I don't know if interesting is the word I would use. Oh, it's real interesting. Okay. If we're using interesting as a euphemism, (laughs) sure, sure. There's a lot there. So this week we're discussing superhero movies, more specifically Marvel MCU movies. And Misty, if you had to guess, what does MCU stand for? Oh, okay. So Marvel Comic Universe. So close. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ah, because they're movies now. Yes, Mm. and it refers to a specific set of movies we've got 20 movies that is more than i thought in the last 10 years so not not the old spider-man movies that you might be the toby Maguire movies aren't part of the mcu even though those are marvel movies okay so the tom the- holland spider-man movies they do count okay so old stuff that i probably have seen <laughs> doesn't count new stuff that i definitely have not seen you haven't seen iron man nope okay did you really think the answer was going to be yes? I don't know. It's 10 years old. No. Okay. So these are vastly important cultural texts, not just because I say so, but they're seen by more audiences than just about any other movie. And if you look at the top movies of any year in the last 10 years, Marvel movies are going to be in the top 10 every year. And they are also avidly rewatched by people. So there are lots of people who see these movies multiple times. And of course, the more times you see it, the more power it has. The more imprints on you. Yeah, to to affect your worldview. So they're important. Uh, Superhero movies, especially superhero movies in the last 20 years, have been made to reflect cultural values and progress. What do you mean by that? I mean, keeping up with and reflecting back the kinds of things we might be afraid of, the kinds of things we might be interested in. They might make commentary on, I mean, X-Men movies, for instance, often are kind of correlate to racism or prejudice of some Fear kind. Fear of the other. Yeah. So that's why the most recent Marvel movies like Black Panther or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Ant-Man and the Wasp, those movies have better representation. They don't just include women and women of color, but they include characters with depth, women who have superpowers, you know, women and people of color who have accomplishments and abilities beyond their roles as sidekicks. Or as the the funny one, not all the women use sex appeal, and they don't all serve as romantic partners or in background roles. So those movies, the more recent they are, the better they are to, the better chances they have in representation. And am I right in that these characters carry over from one movie to the next? So there's like growth and evolution and depth as we go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would say Tony Stark as Iron Man is growing a lot as a person, but. I mean, that, I actually might take that back because once you get to Captain America Civil War, he does kind of grow as a little bit as a person. So, yes, I would More say than so. your typical movie because it Absolutely. extends over and longer. Absolutely. And definitely Captain America because he comes from the 50s and then wakes up in the 2000s. So he has to readjust his paradigms quite a bit. And, you know, some of them come from different universes. So, yeah, I think they all grow and I think that's they're all kind of a reflection of culture and even Dr. Strange who we're not really going to talk very much about today he starts the movie as like a rich jerk 
playboy kind of guy who like speeds his Lamborghinis around hills and stuff like that. And then as a result of what happens to him, he kind of changes his whole outlook and becomes obviously a more meditative spiritual person. Okay. So I think that's an example of it reflecting maybe what a cultural value. We don't want to promote being a rich jerk. I don't anyway. We're anti that. Yeah. And I I do want to say we are going to have spoilers here, but only for movies up to... 2018. I will not spoil anything for anyone. <laughs> I but can yeah, promise. we're not going to have any. We're not going to have any spoilers for you know Captain Marvel, which is why we decided to do this episode now. Yes, so we have a t- coming out. We had to break it into two episodes because there is so much to say. But yes, Captain Marvel is what inspired us to have this two episode MCU season spark series, a two arc? episode mini series. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so. I mean, technically speaking, the definition of the word series is two things that go... Anyway, just... Yes, Captain Marvel. All right, so I want to do a history. (sighs) Nobody... We're here to talk about comics, man. And I'm going to tell you the history of comic books. We're here to talk about action movies. Well, but these movies come from... This is the opposite opposite of an action movie. (laughs) History is? Yes. Aw. But these movies come from the cultural text of comic books. And so I wanted to do a brief history, brief, of comic books in this country and how they've been received and what they reflect. Okay. So did you know that comic books have been in existence in this country since the 1840s? I didn't know that. I thought 1920s. I thought after World War I. So it goes way back. Wow. Now, it doesn't hit the highlight, the golden age, until 1930. That wasn't the golden age, but that's fine. That's what... I know, that's what's called the golden age, but that's a subjective term. I even wrote in my notes, depends on who you ask, because I knew you were going to say something (laughs) about it. Uh, I always have something to say. So in 1939, Marvel Comics is going to have the number one series, Oh, and their characters include the Human Torch, Angel, uh, the Submariner. 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 I'm going to get to correct you so um, many times I know so much about this, right? And uh, DC Comics is, of course, their rival. So in the 1930s and into the 1940s, Mm -hmm. these comics are going to play a really important role. Do you know what that role is? They're going to punch Nazis. They are going to punch a lot of Nazis. That I knew. So... If you look at the early comic books, it's really patriotic. And if you look at those early superheroes, I mean, Captain America. Yeah. That is not subtle at all, is no. it? No. And his, and his outfits are not subtle either. Yes. Red, white, and blue. Lots of stars I don't think they're called outfits, are they? Why not? Costumes? Uniforms? A uniform implies there's more than one of you. That's true. I think costume. Superhero costume. There's got to be a better word. But anyway. Um, and then Wonder Woman. Same thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Red, white, blue. Definitely Punching patriotic. Nazis in the face. Yes. Taking on Hitler. Did she get to punch Nazis? She did. She I didn't know Nazis. that. Mm-hmm. So these comics played a really important role in that they were patriotic. They reflected back to us what was going on in World War II. And also they served as a point for children to connect and understand about this war. So you got to think a lot of kids, their dads had left, mm-hmm. or maybe their older brothers or uncles are gone fighting. And these comic books allowed an access point for students to, mm. or students, for <laughs> <laughs> for children to understand what was happening in this war in a way that they could process. And so they could feel like their dad's fighting with Captain America. Aww. Isn't that nice? I hope so, at least somebody believed that. So in the 1950s, we expand from more than just superheroes. You have crime, you have romance, horror, all of these things in comic books. And then the number one superhero during the 1940s was who? The number one superhero most in the popular, 1940s. Most popular, sold That's the most Superman. Comics. No. Oh, then I don't know. Captain Marvel. Oh, really? Yeah. But the dude version of Captain Marvel. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got real excited when I read that too. <laughs> then I was like, wait, but that's not a girl. That's the DC Captain Marvel. Yeah. All right. And then what I really wanted to talk about today is the Comic Book Code Authority. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. So of course, the, the Comics Code. Yes. So in 1954, this is created, and it's created by the Comic Magazine Association as an alternative to government regulation. Okay. We're in the height of the Cold War. The government is really regulating a lot. We've talked about this before with TV. Yeah. Nothing obscene, nothing indecent. Mm -hmm. And comics felt like they were the next place the government was going to intervene. So before the government can do that, they decide they're going to go ahead and monitor themselves. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Yes. I mean, a lot of organizations and groups decide to do that. All right. One reason that this code was created um, was because... There was a quote-unquote moral panic. Oh, God. Yes. And uh, so Frederick Wortham, in his book, Seduction of the Innocent, is going to look at the connection between these troubled children, quote-unquote, and comic books. And he decides that comic books are creating troubled children. Oh, so this is like the Marilyn Manson thing. Yes. Just Yes, just 50 years <laughs> before that. Okay. And yeah. So this is one of the reasons that people thought, oh, my gosh, look at these terrible comic books. And comics were afraid that they were going to get shut down. So rather than get shut down, let's go ahead and because put this of code. this moral panic. Yes. Jeez. All right. So let's. So what was in the code? Let's talk about what's in the code. I didn't put the whole code in here, but I kind of picked the ones that I thought were um, most interesting or most ridiculous. <laughs> however, you want to look at that. Okay. Oh, good. So under general standards. General standards. Yes. Okay. Part A. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal. Criminals are bad. Heroes are good. End of story. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil. What? Yes. In every instance. In every instance. Instances of law enforcement officers dying as a result of a criminal's activities should be discouraged. Why? Because those are real life heroes and we need to protect them, even in the comic book. But then we send the, imp- we create the impression that they're not in danger. Yes, I agree with you. That mm-hmm. doesn't even make any sense. Yes. All right. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I mean, yes. I, I guess I'm looking in the wrong place if I want something to make sense. Yes. Uh, general standards part B. Inclusions of stories dealing with evil shall be used only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue. And in no case shall evil be presented alluringly. What is evil? I mean, this is this is trying to create an objective standard around one of the most subjective words there yes. is. Yes, yes, you are so correct about that. And I win a prize. <laughs> scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires or vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. What? Now that one went away. Obviously, because of the huge comic sensation, The The Walking Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah, that one went away by the 70s. But it was seen as too, I don't know if graphic is the right word here, uh, but too emotionally graphic. Disturbing? Disturbing for young children. Well, not all comics are for young children. All right, so under dialogue. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Profanity, obscenity, smut, vulgarity, or words or symbols which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. Words which have acquired undesirable meanings mm-hmm. are forbidden. Yep. Who acquired these meanings by whom? When? Well, I think this next one answers it. Slang and colloquialisms are acceptable, but excessive use should be discouraged. And whenever possible, good grammar shall be employed. In dialogue? <laughs> yes. So all of our superheroes speak very correct English. English professors don't even have perfect grammar in speech. That doesn't even make any sense. 
I'm just going to keep saying that. It doesn't even make any sense, but... All right, under costumes, nudity in any form is prohibited, as is indecent or undue exposure. The comics, the the people who published comics wrote these rules. Yes. This one I actually kind of like. Okay. Females <laughs> shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration <laughs> of any physical qualities. Note, it should be recognized that all prohibitions dealing with costume dialogue or artwork applies as specifically to the cover of a comic as well as the contents. Yeah, but nobody followed that rule. Yeah, that's why I thought that one was really interesting. That is interesting because nobody followed that rule. Right. But it was technically a rule. Females should be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities. What physical qualities do you think we're exaggerating? Couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Maybe the eyes? I was thinking maybe the hair. Oh, the forehead. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's probably what it, it is. Marriage and sex. Divorce shall not be treated humorously or represented as desirable. <sighs> because it's not a... Because it's not the standard we want to uphold. I mean, were they treating divorce as desirable? Were there people shooting off rockets saying, look at me, I got divorced. I don't I mean... We're having divorce parties. (laughs) All right. Passion or romantic interest shall never be treated in a way to stimulate the lower and baser emotions. That is the most like prudish way (laughs) of saying don't Don't draw pornography. Right. Romantic interest shall never be treated in such a way as to stimulate the lower and baser emotions. Yep. Respect for parents, the moral code, and for honorable behavior shall be fostered. What? A sympathetic understanding of the problems of love is not a license for morbid distortion? Right. What does that mean? That one? Here's the thing. I have several advanced degrees in English, and I don't understand that sentence. I can't tell you, man. It is so, like, vague. A sympathetic understanding of the problems of love is not a license for morbid distortion. I don't know what that means. I don't know. But it's funny, though, that like Romeo and Juliet yeah. is our canon. Yeah. And that's a morbid distortion I of guess. love. Yeah. But we're okay with that. Everybody's okay with it. I mean, an old dead white guy wrote it, so we're all fine with it. It's fine. So it's okay. How long was this comics code in effect for? You ready for this? Yeah. 2010. Shut up. It changes. It evolves as we go. So the first big change was in the 1970s. Oh, and I didn't talk about this earlier, but one of the things in the, I think, general behaviors part one was that it shouldn't show, a comic shouldn't show any drug use. So the first big change. I mean, how can you show kids that drugs are dangerous if you can't show people using drugs? Ding, 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 ding. In the 1970s, the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare asked Marvel Comics to do a story about drug abuse. Oh. And in order to do a story about drug abuse... You have to show someone using drugs. You have to show somebody using drugs. And so uh, Stan Lee is going to agree to do this. And it's interesting that he did not get the comic seal on these particular issues. So he published them without the comic code being enforced. And you could technically do that. Yeah. But it was frowned upon. Yeah. When he did that, that opened the door to start kind of picking and choosing. Yeah. Which parts of this we're going to okay. abide by? Okay, okay. Um, the code lasts at 2010. That's crazy. I know, to me. right? But like less and less and less of it is being enforced as we go on. Obviously. Uh, but you talked about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and in that film, you can see the comic code seal at the beginning of the movie. They put it on there. Oh, because they're showing like comic covers yes. and Marvel logos. Yeah, so you can see it. Interesting. The- it's a great movie. I mean, you're never going to watch it, so just take my word for it. I might watch that one one day. They invented a new kind of animation. Really? Yes. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's not part of the MCU, though. Why? Because it's got Spider-Man. The MCU is telling a very specific closed narrative. Oh, okay. Right? So all of those movies are interrelated. The events of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse are not in any way related to the events. Also, there's a whole thing with Sony, but I'm not going to get into that. Thank you. Thank you for not doing that. (laughs) All right. So the last thing I wanted to say about this is because this code was so strictly enforced early on, this created underground comics. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the style and some of the storylines that we see now in comics and these comic book movies are from those early influences of underground comics. Yeah, because that's where all the cool people were. Exactly. Yeah. It was a little more edgy. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how these stories could have been interesting if you can't have... Well, that's why they're all superheroes. That's how you get the drama and the pathos if you can't tell stories that have to do with divorce or drugs or addiction or sex. You get drama and pathos from superheroes and saving people. That's it. But making it morally complex and telling stories in different ways. So over time throughout... So maybe the limitations made the stories better in that way. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I can't believe it lasted until 2010. All right, so over the long view of American society. Yeah. Comics have been a reflection of our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about like those early heroes fighting Nazis. Yeah. And then we fight the Russians in the Cold War. <laughs> so it's always reflecting like who the common enemy is. Yeah. Or um, even I read a lot about Spider-Man, how he's got a lot of angst and it's all internalized. Yeah. And that's Gen X. Definitely. So it's a reflection of the Definitely. culture he's yes. a part of. Yes. They are snapshots of social issues at our time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have comics dealing with racism. We have comics dealing with uh, the women's movement. Mm-hmm. We see some of that, again, in these movies mm-hmm. that we'll talk about here in a minute. And when needed, comics can be a uniting force in our society. Yeah. So I think the obvious example there is World War II. Absolutely. But I think these movies kind of help bridge those gaps, too. And the movie specifically I'm thinking about is Black Panther. Gaps between? Just different groups of people oh, that maybe cultural wouldn't. Cultural gaps. Get yeah. Cultural gaps. Yeah. That wouldn't have those dialogues without these pieces of fiction existing. Right, yeah. All right, so the first question I want to discuss is whether the MCU is a feminist universe. That's a good question. And here's what I'm going to tell you. For the most part, Marvel gives us good news, bad news in every single movie. Black Widow... She's played by Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Black Widow is strong, smart, tough, loyal. Sounds good, right? Yes. She's wearing skin-tight clothes. And in some movies, is shown from a... The only way I can describe it is butt-first camera angle. So, like, down below looking up? Like... That's the first thing we see, and then oh, we like pan straight up. straight on. Yes, okay. first thing we see, and then pan up to her face. Oh, nice. And after 11 years of being in the MCU, her solo movie is still not here. Is one being made? So they say. Oh. The best example of good news, bad news in terms of feminism that I can give you is Jane Foster. So she is Thor's girlfriend. She has a PhD in astrophysics. Okay. Uh, that sounds exciting, right? Yeah. She's in... A two-hour-long Thor movie. She's on screen for 20 minutes. Oh. She's on screen in Thor The Dark World for 25 minutes. Hey, that improved. Yeah. By 20%. But for most of The Dark World, she's possessed by dark energy. And so she's like a prop that people are fighting over. Okay. And she's not in the Thor 3 movie. I think that was because Natalie Portman was done being in the MCU. But they talk about her. She doesn't appear. 
Okay, so she's referenced. She has depth. She loves her job. She talks about her job. You see her being very good at her job. She's very competent. She can figure things out. She's definitely not a damsel in distress, except in Thor 2 when she's possessed by dark energy. Between the first two movies, it seems like she's just been waiting around for him. So two two years lapse between Thor 1 and Thor 2. Jane, what? Where were you? Where were you? Heimdall could not see you. I was right here where you left me. I was waiting, and then I was crying, and then I went out looking for you. You said you were coming back. I know, I know, but the Bifrost was destroyed. The Nine Realms erupted into chaos. Wars were raging. Marauders were pillaging. I had to put an end to the slaughter. As excuses go, it's not terrible. And in the second movie, she gets dark powers, but she doesn't get any actual power. She doesn't, she doesn't develop. She doesn't become stronger. She doesn't become more interesting. She's just been waiting around for Thor for two years. Then she gets possessed, and it gives him a reason to fight. And so, then so that's the movie, like what we talked about before, yeah. is women being the motivating force for the male character's development. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't die, though. And well, that's nice. <laughs> the movie becomes people fighting over her, people fighting about her. Here's what I... This might help you understand why okay. this this character is created in this way. Thor The Dark World has one directing credit, so has one director, nine writing credits. So it gives credit to nine people for writing the movie. That's a lot. So that's ten people yes. in terms of directing and writing the movie. All ten are men. That makes a difference. Avengers of Infinity War, do you know what that is? No. Okay. <sighs> I think I know what the Avengers are. You think you know what the Avengers are. Is one of them the Human Torch? No. <laughs> then I don't know what the Avengers Oh my God. <laughs> Avengers Infinity War has two... Di- I thought you were going to do research. I did. Oh, Jesus. You counted the history? Yeah. Avengers Infinity War has two directing credits, 17 writing credits. Now, a lot of that is characters originally created by Stanley. Oh, so they have Jack to give Kirby. credit to... Yeah. Okay. But it has... No movie should need 17 people to write it. 17 writing credits, two directors, all 19 of them were men. Do you think that this is because studios think that the audience is men? Do they I, think I, I honestly couldn't even speculate why you would get 20 people to write a movie and none of them would be... I don't even know how that happens statistically. Well, it doesn't happen by random chance. Exactly. So 10 years, 20 movies... I spent a lot of time looking at this. Not a single one of them was written or directed by a woman in any way. Not a single woman writer there is no female. attached to any of them. Wow. Not one of them. Wow. None of them. Except Captain Marvel, which isn't out yet. That's, That's going to explain a lot. And that explains the good news, bad news. So it explains why we can have Jane Foster have a PhD in astrophysics and be competent at her job, but... N- and still kind of do nothing? And kind of have emotional depth, but not seem like a real fully formed human and still be very romantically and personally dependent on Thor. Yeah. I am blown away by that. You should be. I mean, how? I got really excited. I, was, I went through every single one. I got really excited because I saw someone named Ashley, but it was a dude. How, you looked it up? Yeah. <laughs> Aww. Okay, so here are the women. Well, I'm glad you looked it up and didn't just assume. That's good. <laughs> Here are the women of the MCU, okay? Start with people who have power. And when I say power, I mean they fight bad guys. So this is a sliding scale down? No, no, because the most powerful person in the MCU is Captain Marvel. 
Okay. But so here are those powered, super powered. I mean, Black Widow doesn't technically have superpowers, except she's just extremely tough and fierce. Okay. So Black Widow, the Wasp, whose name is Hope, Gamora, Valkyrie, Scarlet Witch. Have you heard of any of these people yet? <laughs> no. Okay. Okoye. I've heard of Black Widow. Okoye, Shuri, Peggy Carter, Lady Sif, Hela, Nebula. Some and- of these sound like uh, Greek mythology. Well, some of them are from Thor. Good, good. Um, <laughs> Hela's from Thor. Lady Sif is from Thor. Nebula is Guardians of the Galaxy. Hope Pym, Hope Van Dyne is the Wasp. Her mother, Janet Van Dyne, is uh, previously the Wasp. So we can count both of them. Other women in the MCU, other female characters, Pepper Potts, that's Tony Stark's. That's a terrible name. Romantic partner. Jane Foster, we just talked about. Maria Hill, she's played by... Uh, the lady from How I Met Your Mother. She's the Robin Sparkles. Oh, okay, yeah. Frigga is Thor's mom. Cassie is Ant-Man's daughter. Uh, Aunt May is Spider-Man's aunt. And Nova Prime is like a military leader in Guardians of the Galaxy. So those are all women who don't have superpowers, but who are peripherally kind of in the movies. And who are named. Yes. Named, speaking roles, at least somewhat prominently placed in the movies. Yes. So the... One gauge for, to answer the question, is it a feminist universe, is screen time. And I'll tell you, it's not good. Okay. I'm not going to give you screen time for all of them because it would just be me saying names of movies in minutes. But I'm going to tell you some things that are remarkable. Captain America, the first one called The First Avenger. Peggy Carter is in 17 minutes of a two-hour film. And, and she's the primary female character? Yes. Spider-Man Homecoming has 19 minutes of females. And this is a movie set in a high school. Two hours and 13 minutes long. Nine minutes is his romantic partner, Liz. Four minutes is his Aunt May. So you're having to add women together to get to 19 minutes. That is correct. Yes. Oh, that's depressing. And then other characters, one to two minutes each. Yes. Wow. In Ant-Man, two hours, 23 minutes of it is women. I thought that one was... That's Ant-Man and the Wasp oh, that you're okay. thinking of. Okay. Yeah. The first Ant-Man, which, was just Hope, Ant-Man. which okay. Hope Van Dyne is in, but she's not the Wasp yet. She's in it for 15 minutes. His daughter, Cassie, is in it for four minutes, and his ex-wife is in it for two minutes. So you see this pattern, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, about do. About 20 minutes of about two hours. The, the best we get is Iron Man 2. 35% of the movie has Pepper Potts, well... 35% of the movie has females. Of that, some of it is Pepper Potts and some of it is Black Widow. Wow. So it is not until we get to Black Panther that we have what we might consider reasonable. So in the film Black Panther, 40% of the runtime includes women on screen. And I would say that's reasonable because Black Panther's the main character. Right. right? So he's going to be on screen for a great deal of it. So 40% of the runtime includes women. That's 54 minutes out of the two hours. And that includes Nakia, who is his romantic interest, Shuri, who's his student, or his sister, not his student, and Okoye, who is the warrior. You might know who that is. In the movie, she's bald. She has a big spear. The one that's also in The Walking Dead, right? I don't know. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, as you said, 55.7% per- 55. of runtime. So that's over an hour of but a she's a title character. That is right. I mean, you would think it'd be close to 50%. It's if, over 50%. Right. Yeah. If her name is yeah. in the So title. she is the first titled female superhero in the MCU. Wow. 
And she does a lot of interviews. Evangeline Lilly, who played the Wasp, does a lot of interviews. Was where also she, on Lost. Where she, yes, where she talks about that. Look at you making all these references. From 10 years ago. So how does it feel to be in this movie and an awesome female superhero? It feels pretty darn cool. This is... Um, this is a highlight of my career for sure, and would I'm you having, say that? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, and you know, not just because, not just because I get to be a superhero, but because I get to be the first titled female superhero in the MCU, and that's a big deal to that's me, a and huge deal. It feels, it feels really important, especially in this climate and this moment with our mm -hmm. culture and with women so clearly saying we're still not being treated equally and time's up we've got to be treated equally to now have equal billing with a man in this universe that's pr predominantly male is um means a lot to me so she makes the longest appearance of any woman in the mcu she's in the movie for over 35 minutes her mother who's played by michelle pfeiffer is in the movie for about 10 minutes his daughter for about seven and then the the villain in the movie is also a female. She's in it for about 12. Okay, so I have a question for you, which yeah. you maybe can't answer. Maybe you can. Okay. Did you do the Bechdel test on any of these? So that's hard to do because some of these movies don't have two female named characters. So they don't pass. So they don't pass, yes. Wow. All right. But I didn't rewatch any of the movies to do specifically to analyze that. I know Ant-Man and the Wasp passes because there's a mother and a daughter and they have a conversation about something other than a man not their father or not yeah yeah but offhand that's the only one i could say passes i think black panther does too i think okoye and nakia have conversations and shuri have conversations with each other that aren't necessarily about t'challa so i think that one would pass as well but that's coming from my memory so okay so take it yeah. with a grain of salt <laughs> so if you want to do a feminist viewing i found a list of criteria okay i'm excited are you i am okay so this is a critic and a writer named candace brucellis who created these categories so i didn't come up with them so number one are there major women characters major being they have a background emotions agendas and lives that don't revolve around men so fully formed nuanced characters right that are not props there you go no damsels in distress. So that would be incapable, hopeless, always in need of a man. They make the distinction that women experiencing distress with some agency. So you can be in distress, right? So like Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. If you're experiencing distress, but you have agency and you're making your own decisions and you're not kind of flailing. You're not the, you're the not woman tied to the train tracks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the female villains. So avoiding evil seductresses but female villains women who hurt and get hurt kind of helping us erase the idea that women need to be protected well i like the idea that they're also avoiding the female seductress because i feel like that's the other side of the coin for women villains right yeah it's always their sexuality mm -hmm. that has corrupted them yeah so it's nice that they're specifically excluding that Emotional developments of friendships, familiar relationships, gay lesbian relationships, complicated relationships, anything other than a lady hopelessly falling in love with a man. Diversity, so ethnic, gender, ability, age, race. So having non-white characters, non-heterosexual characters, non-binary characters, disabled characters, characters who are older than we might expect or are who are older than normal or typical. And disabled characters who aren't just damaged background characters, but who are, you know, Real people and humans. Yeah, like, again, that's an important inclusion, right? So just having somebody in a wheelchair on screen right. doesn't 
check the box. Right. Because that's not true diversity. Exactly. Or true representation. Yes. Yeah. Smart women, so leaders, inventors, planners, doctors, scientists, that kind of thing. And then women being treated with respect. This is a this is the Why does this have to be a category? Surprisingly, it's one of the hardest bars to clear for these movies. But yeah. So male characters treating women with legitimate decency. It's not cute or funny that she makes decisions or has superpowers. Men aren't able to freely put down women or make creepy remarks about their bodies. Men don't discriminate against women. Sexism is seen by the film itself as bad. The bar is real low if we're having to look for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's infuriating. So all of the movies we're going to talk about today, which isn't all of the movies, but all of the movies we're going to talk about today, I would say make about a grade of 50 or 60. I'm really glad you're not planning to do 20 movies today. (laughs) I'm thankful for that. That would be hard. So uh, I'm going to do them all out of chronological order because I know how much Because it's going to explode my brain. Love that. I'm going to start with Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Are you familiar with the concept of Ragnarok? I'm familiar with the concept of Thor. Okay. Everyone is. So in this movie, the villain is his evil sister, whose name is Hela. All right. She's very cool. She's not precious. She's not in need of protection. She's super powerful. She's kind of over-sexualized, like her her outfit and the way she's kind of But he's running around like a loincloth, right? So that's the point. Thor is also over-sexualized. So I think in this movie- I wouldn't use that phrase, but I think in this movie, they negate each other, if we're talking about... So as long as we objectify everyone... We're just asking for equality here, okay? Valkyrie is a powerful, emotionally complex female character who is in no way romantically interested in Thor. Well, that's that's nice. Yes. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is a villain with... The easiest way for me to say this is he has an implied fluid sexuality... So never explicitly stated. Right. Okay. In fact, Valkyrie is a bisexual character, but the film doesn't ever explicitly tell you that either. So like in the comics, that's true. Well, she's supposed to be bisexual in the film, uh, but the film cut out the scenes that develop that idea and... You think that was like for censorship purposes or just so it would go over smoother with audiences or it was just too much movie? Uh, it could have been any of those things. Marvel seems very satisfied with implying gay themes. Because I will say, these movies are super long. Well, they're longer than five minutes, so they're probably too long for you. If it's not a YouTube clip, I'm I will out. say the movie features a friendship between Hulk and Thor, and, and I'll tell you, I am going to count real, um, like, emotionally developed friendships between two dudes as counting as a point in favor of feminism. Because I think yeah, that is... Yeah, because we've talked about that before. Yeah, betraying a kind of gender role expectation in a film. And they do have a strong friendship in this movie. A lot of it's played for laughs, because in a lot of, for most of the movie, he's Hulk and not Bruce Banner. So it's funny. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. But it's very clear that they care about each other, that they're going to protect each other, that I'm not leaving this planet without you. I'm sorry I said those things. You're not the stupid Avenger, and nobody calls you the stupid Avenger. It's okay. Just can't go around throwing shields at people. I know, I'm sorry, I just got so angry all the time. Hulk always, always angry. Well, we're the same, you and I, but just a couple of hot-headed fools. 
Valkyrie is seen and appreciated for who she is. So she's tough and she is acknowledged as being a fierce, powerful warrior. And the depiction of female characters, I think, is more in depth than in previous Thor movies. We have Hela, who gets some backstory. You understand where her emotional turmoil is coming from. You have Valkyrie. She's kind of lost her way. She gets a little backstory. Even though I don't think this passes the Bechdel test, because there is no instance I can think of of the On women characters. Together. Yeah, I do think it does a lot of things really well. Is Hela portrayed sympathetically? I wouldn't say sympathetically, but I think you have a clear understanding of why she's doing what she's doing. It's very similar to the way the villain in Black Panther is portrayed. Like, you wouldn't join her side, but you get why she's raging so hard. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So she's not seen as like a legitimate option, but you're not supposed to think of her as a crazy woman either. Exactly. Exactly. She's not just like irrationally out of nowhere. Yeah. So I'm going to just put all the Captain America movies together. Thank Um, you. (laughs) That's 2011 is the first Avenger. 2014 is Winter Soldier. 2016 is Civil War. So we've made three of these. Yes, three Captain America movies. In a relatively short amount of time. That is correct. But Black Widow is still... That is correct. In development. That is correct. Interesting. You're starting to understand. So interesting. Yes. All right, continue. So Captain America is a historical character within the MCU. Yes. He's from the 1940s. I think you would like the first Captain America movie. I mean, it is a World War II setting. It's historical. I'm sure it's extremely accurate. Oh, yes. Yes, (laughs) because Captain America is why we won. I'm sure it's extremely accurate. Okay, so he's from 1940s. He has emotional depth. So he is bullied and he wants to protect his friends. He notoriously hates bullies. He's very puny. And I know you're making a face. He gets like frozen or something, right? So first he gets injected as part of a government experiment to become a super soldier. That's right. So he can't age. Right. So he's not Superman. He's not an alien. He's not born with superpowers. Correct. But he gets them. He's in love with Peggy Carter. She's She's Agent Carter. And she herself is a powerful, smart, funny I got beat up in that alley, in that parking lot, behind that diner. Did you have something against running away? If you start running, they'll never let you stop. You stand up, you push back. You can't say no forever, right? I know a little of what that's like, to have every door shut in your face. I guess I just don't know why you'd want to join the army if you were a beautiful dame. A beautiful a woman, an agent, not a dame. You are beautiful, but you have no idea how to talk to a woman, do you? I think this is the longest conversation I've had with one. Women aren't exactly lying enough to dance with the guy they might step on. You must have danced. Well, asking a woman to dance always seems so terrifying. In the past few years, just didn't seem to matter that much. Figured I'd wait. For what? Right partner. The very idea of a woman secret agent in the 1940s in a movie is pretty cool. Yes. She's not over-sexualized. I mean, she's wearing like a brown suit for most of the movie. In Captain America Civil War, there are 12 heroes who fight in the film. Wow. Two of them are females, Black Widow and Scarlet Witch. It's a lot of characters to keep track of. <laughs> they, I mean, they each have their, for the most part, they, a lot of them have their own origin story, so it's easy. There's also three Iron Man movies, if that it's helps. too many. Yeah. It's just going to go out on a limb and say it's too many. 
So it's also emotionally more complex in Civil War because they are fighting each other and they are fighting Hence the Civil War. Right. So they are fighting about these very kind of complex considerations. So there's no like bad guy, easy to smash villain. You have to decide while you're watching the film, like whose side you're on. And even if you like- So one side is not clearly right. Correct. Well, that's interesting. And even to this day, people don't all agree. I mean, you could go with your spouse and one of you is on Captain America's side. We call him Cap. So if you're in the know, you just call him Cap. Okay, so one of you is on Cap's side and then one of you is on Tony Stark's side. And what they're arguing about is whether they should agree to government monitoring Hmm. of superheroes. That's interesting. Yes. Monitoring and control. Who says yes to that? Well, people who feel guilty about things that superheroes have done that ended up having negative consequences. Do both of the women fight on the same side? No. Okay, that's good, too. Yes. Well, Black Widow... Uh, actually has a great emotional range here because she's on one side and then she kind of switches sides because she kind of understands where the other person is coming from. Not because she has no loyalty, but she further considers it and understands where the other person is coming from. That movie is more complex. And so that explores friendships and loyalties and those kinds of things. So don't start there. What do you mean? If I was going to watch one of these movies, don't start with that. Don't start with Civil War. You would be epically confused. You would have no (laughs) idea what was going on. Like none whatsoever. Okay, got it. No, start with Captain America, the first Avenger. I, of course, want to talk to you about Spider-Man. Of course. Spider-Man Homecoming 2017. You've never seen it. I feel like Spider-Man is like Batman and that like every generation just (laughs) makes their own. That might be true. That might be true. There's a lot of Spider-Mans. In our lifetime, there have been at least three. And plus cartoon versions and stuff. Yeah, there's Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and then now Tom Holland. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot of Spider-Man. But go ahead. I told you, though, the other ones don't count. Tom Holland is the only one that counts. Okay. Got it. Ignore my childhood. So he's a favorite hero of mine for a lot of reasons. He's a teenager. He's not a cool teenager. He's a dorky teenager. He gets picked on. He's not a cool person. He pursues science. And in this movie, he likes Star Wars and Legos. He has nuanced emotions. Like I said, he's kind of awkward. And he almost kind of has imposter syndrome about being a superhero. Is that a term that they use in the movie? Or is that you analyzing it? Yeah, that's me analyzing it. Okay. Hey, Happy. Um, here's my report for tonight. I stopped at Grand Theft Bicycle, couldn't find the owner, so I just left a note. Um, I hope this lost old Dominican lady. She was really nice and bought me a churro. I'm just, um, feel like I could be doing more. You know, I'm just curious when the next real mission's gonna be. Yeah, just call me back. It's Peter. Parker. I tell him about the churro. But like that's a really complex idea for a movie. So he he struggles with with that because he's a teenager. Right. In this movie Liz is his love interest. She's strong, smart, fun. She's popular, but she's also on academic decathlon. Non-ironically. Like she that's just what she's in, interested in, that's what she's good at. So she's you mean she's demonstrated to be smart. 
And Peter Parker is also on Academic Decathlon. Michelle is another female character. She's played by Zendaya. She's also on Academic Decathlon. I mean, that's kind of the setting of the movie is those particular kids. She's the nerd club. Don't call it that. (laughs) We just said it was good that they were on there. So she's funnier. She's like a background character, but she provides some depth. And, a, a, you know, a second kind of female representation. And she keeps them from having just one lady, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's representation, but also there's more than one way to be a woman. Yeah. And there's more than one way to approach or interpret a situation. Yeah. Marissa Tomei plays his Aunt May. She's very active in his life, uh, although she is over-sexualized by Iron Man, who keeps hitting on her, and who keeps asking her nephew what she's up to. So... You're the spider-ling, crime-fighting spider. You're Spider-Boy? Spider-Man. Not in that onesie, you're not. It's not a onesie. Who else knows? Anybody? Nobody. Not even your unusually attractive aunt? No. No, 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 no. If she knew, she would freak out. And and when she freaks out, I freak out. You know what? Like... Okay, and the Spider-Man I remember, doesn't he have an uncle? The uncle dies. Oh, okay. That's like the whole point of the... (sighs) (laughs) I'm so good at this. The death of Uncle Ben, like, inspires the origin story. Oh, that's right. You're you're right. I remember now. And this movie does kind of skip... This movie does skip over the origin part of this story. So he's still a self-made superhero, like in a sweatpants uniform. But they do skip over him getting his powers and his uncle dying. Because you're just assumed to know that. Right, because as you said, we all know. But we all know where Spider-Man gets his powers. The movie itself focuses a great deal on friendship. Peter's best friend is Ned, and they do most things together. They're honest with each other. They have emotional vulnerability, and they have a very healthy male friendship. They're Ned not, knows that he's Spider-Man? Yes. They're not falsely competitive. They're not jealous of each other. They're not fighting each other for a woman. They're not toxic in any way. And I think that's a very kind of feminist depiction of male characters. So they are not fitting into what I would say are male tropes. Yes. Where the dudes are competing or jealous of each other or trying to take each other down. Or Well, and he's not the um, goofy sidekick character where his whole role is to just be the one-liner. Well, I would say Ned is a goofy sidekick, but he is more developed than that. And he is also, he wants to be, I mean, he talks about, he wants to be, literally, he says, the man in the chair, like, you call me and I can help you figure things out, you know. So, I mean, he wants to be a sidekick, but and he is goofy, but I don't think it's one note, for sure. So some people argue that Liz is a damsel in distress in this movie, and I... I'm going to push back on that. She and other people that they're with, they get trapped in an elevator. Okay. They're actually in the Washington Monument. And the elevator's about to fall. All right. She's, I mean, she's stuck, but she's not hopelessly flailing in the scene. And she's not having like a complete emotional breakdown. Right. And because she technically needs to be rescued by Spider-Man, some people see this as her being a damsel in distress. I would argue that that's like the point of Spider-Man and Spider-Man movies is that he saves people who are in hopeless situations. He has superpowers that other people don't have, and he uses them to save people. Well, I don't think it's unfeminist to call the fire department if your house is burning down. Exactly. And in that scene with the elevator, he saves like 10 people. One of them is their male teacher. And actually the male teacher's more having more of an emotional meltdown than Liz is. So I don't think she's a damsel in distress. He does at one point rescue her, but 
it is in rescuing a lot of other people. Yes. But I mean, that's the whole point of a superhero, right? That's what I'm saying, man. I mean, if uh, you have superpowers and you don't rescue people, <laughs> doesn't that make you a villain? Or just really lazy? I don't or know. Selfish? Yeah. Uh, so this movie has racial and ethnic representation a lot more so than a lot of other teen-centric movies that you probably have seen. And so I think it's pretty... I would give this one... Maybe I would give this one a, a B. Maybe a low B, high C. All right. Because, again, the screen time... Black Panther. I'm going to make an assumption that you're going to be happier with this one. Just going off what you said about the screen time. Yeah. 2018 Black Panther just recently won some Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture. It's the first, really? first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Yes. Another. Yeah. It's kind of a weird idea. I think like a superhero is going to win an Oscar or like that kind of movie is going to win an Oscar. Yeah. But it was nominated. Well, good. I mean, I would say rightly so, but I also think. You know, a lot I mean, the things. last time I watched a superhero movie was like the '90s, and those did not deserve to be. These nominated. are better. These are <laughs> these, these are better. Those were bad. These are better, better movies. So obvious, even if you haven't seen the movie, that this movie is a big step forward yes. in the MCU in terms of feminism, representation, diversity, and social progress. Everybody knows that. Yes, okay. even me. It's also the highest grossing film in the MCU by far. Okay, that's surprising to me because I would have thought Captain America just because. It's a character that's been around well, you forever. Would, I mean, actually, you'd probably assume the Avengers, because those are the movies when all of them are together. And those are... Well, I wouldn't have assumed that, but fine. Okay, most people would assume that Avengers movies, because even if you don't care about Doctor Strange, or you don't care about Thor, or you don't care about Spider-Man... All of them you, together is a big all draw. All of them together. It, exactly, big draw. So, Black Panther made $700 million box office gross. Wow. So, very close to a billion I guess. That's crazy. Its closest competitor from the MCU is Infinity War, which is the most recent Avengers movie, was highly anticipated because for 10 years we've been waiting for Thanos to show up. He did in this movie. So okay. it was a big deal. That movie made $670 million, So still $30 million less than Black Panther. So highly successful and influential, obviously. The main character's not just a person of color. He is a person from Africa, from Wakanda. And he doesn't just save someone with superpowers, but he's also their king. Okay. King T'Challa. Wakanda is technologically and economically advanced, like advanced beyond what America is. Okay. And it has technology that even Tony Stark doesn't have. And Tony Stark is supposed to be the richest person in the world. Okay. So more importantly, Shuri, T'Challa's sister, She's the expert. Like she is the person who invents a lot of the technology and uses a lot of the technology in really smart ways to save people. Why didn't you just reprogram the synapses to work collectively? Because we didn't think of it. I'm sure you did your best. She's very smart. She's funny. She's confident. And again, she's very invested in helping her brother, helping her country, helping her friends. One of the big questions in this movie is whether Wakanda should share its resources with others. They're very secretive and protective. They're hidden from the world. In fact, people aren't supposed to know that Wakanda even exists. The villain in this film is Eric Killmonger, and he's actually someone who is from Wakanda, who grew up as a poor black kid in America. And so his primary motivation in, is for Wakanda to stop kind of hoarding its resources and to use them to help other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. So again, it's not maybe totally sympathetic but you could see where he would have that 
Absolutely. motivation and point of Absolutely. view. Absolutely. Where if you grew up in those circumstances where you would think, why do you have all of this? I like that there's some moral gray here. <clears throat> yes. That neither side is completely and totally the superior of the other. Right. And so he approaches, obviously, the concept with deceit, violence, and cruelty. And so he is clearly the villain. And I don't think people walk away from this movie thinking, I would have been on his side. But I think a lot of people you could understand. walk away with from this movie thinking, like, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. And in fact, the resolution of the movie is a compromise between the two viewpoints. So they do end up kind of reaching out and sharing some of their resources. Some of his power comes from his suit, which Shuri designed and made. His love interest is Nakia, and she's not just like a lady waiting around for a man. The movie starts, and she's like on an undercover mission trying to save women in a different African country who are in distress. So, okay. Yeah, and at one point later in the movie, she saves Black Panther herself. And there's this whole entire band of hardcore female fighters. They're the ones that are bald with the big spears, and they're wearing like non-revealing normal what warriors would wear, protective clothing. So they're not overly sexualized. Right. And in an Infinity War, those women help fight Thanos. So they engage in hardcore combat. Absolutely. And so this movie was directed by Ryan Coogler, who himself is a person of color. And I think that helps maybe create some of the depth right. that we're seeing in the movie. Still no women, though. So, I mean, you don't want to see that movie? It's not that I don't want to see it. It's just... Seeing any movie is difficult for me. Sitting through any movie is difficult for me. And fiction, again, is like super hard. Why? I don't know. I just get bored. I think about like all the other things I could be doing. I'm super fun. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Ant-Man was 2015. Ant-Man was 2015 and Ant-Man and the Wasp was 2018. So Ant-Man is definitely the funniest and MCU. This, the second here. one is the one with the highest. Yes. Female on screen time. Yes. Okay. So Ant-Man is played by Paul Rudd, and he is a comedian and a comedic yes. actor. Yeah. And he co-wrote both of the movies, so that's oh, why I they're didn't so know funny. that. Yeah. Okay. So he plays Scott Lang, who is released from prison for nonviolent burglary of okay. empty houses. And there are, there are a lot of conversations in this movie about reintegrating into life after prison, the development of some real male friendships. And they have real conversations about their emotions, about their fears, about things that are problems in their lives. Michael Pena plays Scott's best friend, and they help each other out. And in fact, by the second movie, they've kind of started a business together. Scott is very focused on spending time with his daughter, Cassie. And Cassie isn't just like a cute kid who serves as a plot line point. She has a distinct personality and toughness. She doesn't How have... How old is she? Maybe nine. Okay, so not like three. No. And she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but she has a distinct personality. And again, he's very concerned with being a good father. And so this is really the first MCU movie that deals directly with parenting. Of course, some of the characters have parents. But they're like grown. Right. And you know, Spider-Man has is kind of a kid, so he has an aunt. But um, Scott is the first like parent hero. 
who's actively parenting a younger child. In the movie. Yes. yes. Okay. Scott has a mostly healthy relationship with his daughter's mom, who is That's his ex-wife. Nice. Yes. I mean, they don't necessarily get along perfectly, but they have conversations and they spend time together. They're co-parenting. Yeah. And they have there are complex emotions there and nobody is the bad guy. It's not like he's a bad dad or she's a bad mom or anybody's being unfair. Not the crazy ex. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She's not a crazy ex. And she easily could have been, right? Yeah. It's been an easy trope to Absolutely. throw in there. There's a hilarious scene in, in the first movie where he gets fired from Baskin Robbins. Eventually, he ends up meeting Hank Pym. Hank promises to help him. Scott becomes Ant-Man. Hope is Hank's daughter. Hope wants to wear the suit because she's trained. Hank doesn't want his daughter to be in danger. So that's where the whole superhero plotline starts. Okay. Hope gets a complex emotional role. Even in the first movie, she discusses being angry. She discusses having hurt feelings. She discusses the, you know, her sadness about her mom being dead. I think the women are all portrayed with some nuance. They don't get very much screen time in the first movie. But again, even the ex-wife is not put into a trope. So I think it does pretty well. In the sequel hope becomes a superhero the wasp she's just as tough she's just as smart she's just as strong and she has wings so the only way scott can fly is if he's on a flying ant okay i knew you weren't gonna like that one (laughs) hope has wings of course because her name is wasp the wasp the wasp i'm Uh, sorry so the title of the movie includes the name of the female superhero the promotional materials showed her as prominently as they showed him and this is the first one that had a female in a title role that's correct there's real emotional discussions fully developed characters strong friendships no reliance on tropes or stereotypes hope is attractive but she's really not over sexualized and she's definitely not a sight and then in the second movie hope's mom comes back played by michelle pfeiffer she wasn't really dead oh okay i was like you said she died and she's very tough smart and clever as well i'm sorry about germany they just showed up they said that it was a matter of national security the cap needed help cap it's in america captain cap it's it's what we call him if you're a friend i'm not saying i'm a friend of, oh, a little i know him he's not whatever i'm sorry all right i'm i didn't think i'd get caught you didn't think about a lot of things i just have one question when Cap needed help. If I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. All right. So the villain of the second movie is a female, and she's not fully developed, but that's because there's a lot going on in that movie. But she's not a seductress or any kind of simplistic stereotype. And in fact, she's not even a bad person. She also has a relatable kind of motive for what she's doing. She's trying to save her own life. So thoroughly developed, original, interesting, emotional depth. There are very few people of color in these films. Um, And the ones who are in the film are mostly Scott's friends and their background characters. And so their identities are far less developed. But if nothing else, you have convinced me that these movies sound better than the superhero movies when we were growing up. Oh, they're much better. Absolutely. Because I feel like those were so simplistic. There's good and there's bad. It's, it's like the comic code, right? Yeah. It was almost like they were following that. Well, and I love that you said that because you're noticing this is when movies get better in terms of representation, in terms yes. of diversity. This is also when people start pushing back against them. Okay. But when Ant-Man and Wasp w- was being advertised. Promoted. Promoted. Trolls just went crazy on Twitter. People tweeted that, quote, this is the future look future liberals are planning women are men and men are women because in the picture she is standing they're kind of back to back but the angle is that she's standing slightly in front of him and she's making eye contact with the camera so just because of that she's dominant and that for she's the man right 
women are men and men are women now. We're back to the whole gender confusion argument because women had power. Gail Simone, who invented the term and the website Women in Refrigerators, she actually responded to that tweet. And she said, sure, and both are super hot. (laughs) Okay, I like it. As we're going to talk about in the next episode, this kind of cultural pushback is happening now with Captain Marvel. It happened with Wonder Woman. It's happening now with Captain Marvel. Do you think it's the feeling of a loss of privilege? Or do you just think it's frustrating for some men to see a woman in power? I don't know. I mean, the argument they make is the only reason you are putting women in movies is to placate the PC freaks. But that's not true. It's because... I mean, the reason people make movies is to make money. Right. It's apolitical. It's entirely capitalist venture. Yes. Yes. And Ant-Man and the Wasp was the ninth highest grossing movie in 2018. So they did it right. Yeah. It did better than the the Han Solo movie. It did better than Venom, which is a different superhero movie. I mean, it didn't do as well as Black Panther or the Avengers movie, but it did really well. And this came out not long after Infinity War. So yeah, they did it right. All right, Misty, what's next in your lady life? So you have seen the extent of my comic book research so far. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, I'm not impressed. I give you a C. I got the code. I give you a C. So now I got to go find out something about Captain Marvel. Do you know anything? I know very little. Okay. What I know is basically from shopping in the toddler section at Target. Oh my God. So I'm going to learn a lot. You make fun of me for learning things from movies. You're learning things from the (laughs) toddler section in the store. I know it's something about a compass because that was what was on the shirt. It's a Captain Marvel and a compass. I'm going to learn. I'm assuming at this point she like is a navigator of some sort. I'm not going to tell you anything. What's next in your lady life? I'm going to my sister-in-law's bachelor party this weekend. So I'm going to do no research of any kind. (laughs) None at all. That sounds like a more fun weekend. Well... I think probably I have more fun weekends than you (laughs) on the regular. Um, It depends on how you define fun. We all know how you define fun, Misty, and nobody is with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and if I had a superpower, it would be the ability to read minds. Nice one. I'm Allegra, and I would like teleportation, but mostly because I'm lazy. And you don't want to do the commute every day. (laughs) I like being in other places, but I don't like the process of traveling. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Extremely great, or super great. Super great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email at ProfessHers at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend. And remember, Black Widow deserves a movie.